Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our lives. With us this week is a very old friend of mine um, from where I grew up. His name is Mike Logston, and he's an incredible man. He's done so much in his short time on Earth. So far, he has not only started his own company that was a health-focused nonprofit, but he has continued to work in the field of tech consulting. But in addition to that, the main reason I wanted to get him on the show is he's also a very, very well-accomplished news and documentary photographer, and he's been in some really serious and harrowing situations, including most recently Ukraine during the actual war. So, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Mike. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, to do this with you, and uh, you know, and frankly, just catch up with an old friend. Yeah, it's incredible. And we we did uh, talk about a week ago or so to schedule all this. And uh, oh, and I forgot to mention to our audience that I think technically the first uh, band I was ever in was with you for sure. I don't think we ever like released an <laughs> album or had songs really, but uh... no, but it, but you you can imagine it was amazing. <laughs> it was <laughs> for a middle school band. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, middle school vans for the win. Um, so real quick, we always just ask our guests to give them uh, to give our audience their age and where they grew up. Sure, I'm 41 years old, and I was born in San Francisco, uh, California, but grew up in the East Bay, just outside um, in a in a town called Orinda. Yeah, and uh, where do you currently live? I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, walk us through uh, real quick. How'd you get to Philadelphia, and why did you stay there? So. Originally, I came here for school uh, back in 1999. Um, uh, I went to the University of Pennsylvania and um, really loved uh, Philadelphia. It was actually kind of a, a little bit of a, a city in transition at the time. More people were leaving than coming in. But it had this really nice kind of grit, history, and culture. Um, uh, it was affordable. And so years later, um, you know, about 10 years ago, um, after uh, actually the first guy I met uh, in college and I started uh, a company together, we were looking for a place to relocate it. And uh, Philadelphia was, uh, was a great option being close to New York, being uh, easy to get to international markets and uh being affordable and having kind of a burgeoning tech scene so wow and so uh in between the time of coming back to philadelphia i don't know exactly where you lived and all that but i know that you did some pretty damn extensive bicycling um (laughs) do you want to kind of open up and talk about that sure yeah um back in uh in 2005 2006 um uh me and my brother uh decided to uh, to get together and uh um, do a bicycle charity ride from Alaska down to Argentina. And, uh, you know, we've covered, covered about 16,000 miles, but, uh, you know, it's all downhill when you start from Alaska. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a metaphor and I'm sure it's like somewhat realistic, but I'm sure there are hills (laughs) between, uh, there now. And, and you were doing, uh, it for brain tumor research and awareness. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, we, uh, my brother and I, we lost our mother uh, to a brain tumor, a glioblastoma, uh, in 1996. And, um, you know, one of the things that she really pushed for us was that, uh, you know, travel um, was one of the great, um, great kind of educations in life, uh, experiencing other countries, other cultures, um, 
you know, you name it, food, art, etc. And so this seemed like a fitting way for us to honor her memory and try and do something um, for a specific type of brain tumor that actually at the time had a 0% survivability. Um, and in fact, most of the time you were diagnosed, you were given you know, weeks or a handful of months to live. Yeah. And I mean, my memory of all this is just my memory, but I'm going to give mine and then I'm going to have you like completely correct me and all that. But just please do because I want to see if like how much of a child invented this versus this is really it. My memory, because we were very good friends uh, at the time of all this going down. Yeah. Is your mom was like on a bike ride. She fell and then her wrist was like sore and it like wasn't getting better. And then she went to a doctor and they very quickly assessed that it was a brain tumor. And then I don't remember at all how long it was between that diagnosis and her um, actual death. But uh, I started spending a lot of time at your house with my mom and like visiting her. And for me, it was like, as a child, I thought, of course, she's going to survive. And like, you know, like we all pray and care. And, and so it was like a really like, again, not speaking selfishly and not, I don't want my audience to think I'm making this all about me. It's more that I want to like interact with my friend about a subject that I never would have talked about when we were kids. So, no. so is that a, even like remotely accurate and B like, how was it on your end? And I, I know that's like a really stupid question to ask, but I'm sure you understand what I mean by that. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of, it's a, yeah, it's a big question, but, uh, Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks. Let me let me address the first part. So yeah, you, you did uh, you did get the uh, the kind of the basic narrative right. Um, you know, she she had fallen on her bike. Um, she was having some pain in her in her arm, and it just wasn't going away. And I remember she was uh, you know driving uh, driving me to you know, some, some sporting, uh, event, you know, practice. And she was just saying, you know, it's just not getting better. And, um, she went and they, you know, they, you know, they, I think they went and did some physical therapy, then they did some tests and they did more tests and they just couldn't figure out what was going on. And that actually went on for some time until they finally were like, well, you know, we're kind of run out of options here. Let's, you know, let's do a, a brain scan. And that's when, you know, uh, they came back, unfortunately, with a, with a diagnosis of a GBM. And so I remember, actually, uh, I was actually staying over at another one of our friends' house, uh, Ryan, uh, one night, and uh, was going to uh, spend the night there. And my dad showed up unexpectedly. And I was like, this is weird. What's going on? And he said, you know, and it got even weirder when he was like, hey, can we, can we sit down and talk? And, you know, went to a different room, sat down and he was like, look, uh, you know, uh, he basically, I can't remember exactly what he told me. I think part, partly because I was just so blindsided, but he said, you know, your mother has a couple of weeks to live. And, you know, what do you, you know, I was, you know, I think 13, 14 at the time. And what do you do when you're, you know, you know, you get that news, you know, it's kind of a bit shell shocked and it, it doesn't like. It may sound weird, but it was not as emotional to me at the time because it just it just was like information, and it just I did it just wasn't it, it wasn't real to me. It was just like wait what? And you know he was like you know do you want to come home? And I was like uh, no. 
And so I just, you know, I just, I just, I didn't like, I was just totally lost in the thing. So I, so I ended up staying the, staying with, uh, with Ryan, uh, and his mom that night. And, uh, and yeah, anyway, that was, that was the start of, uh, what, what we thought was, uh, you know, kind of two month journey, but ended up being more along the lines about nine months. Uh-huh. Okay. So I, yeah. Cause I remember it being longer, but that the diagnosis was really severe. I didn't remember, obviously like I heard from, I think, uh, Ryan's mom actually told me, not my mom, but I, I could be wrong. But anyway, I don't remember hearing ever that it was like fatal at first. And again, this is like me as your friend. So I don't know, like, but, uh, was there like, so what, was it like a solemn feeling in your house between you and your brother and your dad? Or was it like, did you try to like be cheery? Like, do you remember like thinking maybe she'll beat this? Was there any of that? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there was, you know, like you gotta kind of have hope. Right. And like, you know, we they tried some, you know, conventional treatments and then, and then they tried some, you know, there was some promising research out of Stanford that, you know, said that maybe this type, you know, and, and forgive me, I can't remember what it was, but you know this this new treatment could could do it, you know could could save her life. And you know we, you know my dad was like, you know we're going to do anything. You know, like, you know like what do you do in that situation? You know, is that, I, what I what blows me away is you know as an adult is thinking about what it must have been like for my mother, and also for my father, because you know at that age you cannot. It's it's very hard for you to put yourself in somebody else's shoes let alone you know the level of responsibility the gravity of this type of situation and so you know yeah my like we you know basically almost bankrupted our family because my my dad you know sold you know sold whatever assets you know he had um you know and emptied the bank accounts to you know to try these ex- experimental treatments after the conventional treatments you know couldn't do anything um wow that is i don't get political on the show but that's like the number one thing that makes me just get so angry is that that shouldn't be bankrupting anyone (laughs) and i mean it's just crazy the number yeah the number one cause of of bankruptcy in in the united states is uh, is uh, medical uh, medical expense yeah regardless regardless of what kind of where you fall in the political spectrum that you know that's a fact and it is a it's a it's a you know it's a complicated one for for families, especially in this situation, because you know I think you know one of my things that my father and mother had to talk about is you know how far do we how far do we take it you know that's a pretty brutal thing to be you know to be thinking about the financial side in the midst of you know just trying to survive. And uh, I am only asking this because again this is like my job on the show. I feel weird asking it, but um, did your mother have any like last words specifically for you? Like, was there a like scene in your life where it's you and her? Yeah, well, she did. Uh, you know, her very last words to me were, "It's cold. You should put on a jacket." I remember it was uh, it was at the house, and you know, another one of our friends, Max mom Rhonda was there and she you know she had you know she was a fixture like your mom you know at the house and um and uh I was on the phone and an ambulance pulled up and Rhonda was like you need to get off the phone your mom's going to the to the hospital and I just kind of ignored her and then she said it again she's like your mom's dying and I think I told her shut the up you know 
because I just couldn't, you know, it was just, it was, you know, it's just like, it was too much. And then we went to the the hospital and, you know, they had her there and, and we sat with her and then for a while. And, you know, at some point my dad, you know, it was, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. And at some point my dad told my brother and I, like, hey, um, why don't you guys go home and get some sleep? And then and that's, you know, my mother had said, you know, it's, it's cold in here. You should really, you know, you should really put on a jacket. And we laughed. And then that was that. Was that. And my dad said that he, he sat there with her until she died and closed her eyes. And my, my father's like a very, you know, he's a very, well, he was, you know, he's passed now, but he's a very kind of, uh, you know, emotionally open guy, you know, not, not somebody who holds back and on feelings. Uh, but I, I honestly, I can't say that I'd ever seen him just cry, just absolutely sob. And, you know, that day, that next day, just seeing him just crying and, and just now imagine, you know, it's really heartbreaking because just imagining what it was like for him to be like, what am I going to do? I got, I got two sons, you know, and, you know, my wife just passed away and, you know, like, uh, you know, we were under incredible financial strain and how, you know, how do you, I don't know how you, like, I don't know how, I don't, honestly, I don't know how he did it. Yeah. yeah and it's i mean it's crazy because like our town wasn't like super small but everyone like you know knows everyone's parents and stuff and i mean your dad was like a legend in our town like as far as just gregarious and like larger than life personality and like you'd go over to your house and it's like everyone get ready for big <laughs> yeah, gym totally like true. you know and i mean yeah. he was awesome i have so many good memories of your dad but your mom also was like very involved with like everything like sports athletics and like you know and so it really like i think our community was like deeply affected by it and i think you have a lot of your dad's qualities and one of them for sure knowing you before and after this is that you're like a really like not happy like i'm not talking about how you feel on the inside but you you lighten up a room you're very like positive and you're a really nice person you know and like i i don't think there's a single person like who like hates you from like our high school or anything like that and uh so I'm curious, did this briefly or at any point ever affect that side of you, or did you always kind of retain that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, these experiences affect you in different ways. I don't think it, 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 it never, it never kind of soured me. Uh, like, you know, the, the funny thing was I was dealing with a lot of depression, like totally irrespective of this. And so all of my, like, all of my anger uh, you know, in the world was focused inward. So it didn't turn me into an angry person or, or you know, or, or a bitter person. It, in fact, it almost did the opposite because two things, two things happened that I think were pretty, pretty powerful. Number one, you know, being a, a kid who, you know, I, I was, you know, I had a lot of kind of, I was dealing with a lot of depression. I was suicidal. You know, I thought if I had any inkling that I was going to, you know, you know, take my own life, well, how could I do that now? You know, like my, my mother passed. I'm like, what, what, you know, like how, how terrible would that be? Not, not that it wouldn't be terrible regardless, but how terrible would that be to do that to my, my father and my brother? So that was one thing that was kind of interesting. But the second was it really left me with a, with this like intense feeling that life is not a guarantee, you know, like that, you know, because my mother was healthy and she didn't smoke. She hardly drank. She was physically fit. 
yeah, I mean, you know, she was a really, she really took care of her health. She was really health conscious and it didn't, it didn't save her. We just woke up one day and here was this thing and it was, there's nothing you could do. And so that really got me, made, made it very clear to me that there's, there is no guarantee in terms of your life. You know, every single day people wake up, you know, they put on their pants and they walk outside and they don't realize that, that that's their last day. And so it made me think I need to be a lot more afraid of not living than I am of dying because I don't know how much time I get. And so I want to make sure that whatever time I do have, I want to make it count. That was, that was one of the big kind of takeaways. And I'm sure that fueled your incredible career in photography, um, which I want to transition to after one more question about this. And again, thank you for being so candid and talking about this and not over the internet punching me in the face for asking investigative questions about someone we both care about. <laughs> no, honestly, honestly, I'm, I'm uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I think is, uh, is good to talk about. And I think and I, I love, you know, the, the premise of the podcast you've created, because I think I think there is a lot of, you know, there's a little bit of a taboo and, a, and oftentimes just fear, you know, about talking about death. And, and I, I love, I love this, this form that you've created uh, to be able to, uh, to talk about these things. Well, thank you very much. I do appreciate that. And that is kind of like the uh, million dollar question that we ask every single guest, no matter what, which is uh, what do you think happens when you die? Well, okay. So, yeah. So, I, so I'm, I'm a Christian. So, you know, I, I believe, uh, you know, in the Bible's teachings in terms of an afterlife. But I, I will say this. I think that I'm trying to live my life in such a way that even if, even if it turns out I'm wrong and there is, you know, there is no afterlife or the afterlife is different than, than I expected or that I have no regrets about it. And I think my faith helps inform how I walk through life and, and it, it gives a view of what comes after. But honestly, again, if, if, it, if it turns out that it's, it's a philosophy and not, not truth, then I still, you know, I still feel great about how I'm living my life. Oh, it, it totally does. And it's a great answer. I definitely, we're very similar. And also I didn't mention this at the time, but yeah, like I'm kind of shocked to know that we were both like deeply depressed in our like 15, 16 year period of our lives. Cause I like, no one tells each other that. Like I was very private about that. I wasn't going to say anything. And I, I had classes with you. I saw you all the time. I never would have guessed that that was going on. You know, it's like, it's just crazy. And, and what's what's further more interesting to me is that I have the same kind of philosophy, which is like, you better hedge your bets. Like, no matter what religion, philosophy it is, be proud of what you're doing here for sure. So yeah, I, I love that answer. Okay, so I want to switch now to the other topic that we briefly discussed in the introduction, which is you have been to some incredible places at incredible times. And so I'm going to start just with recently in Ukraine, because everyone listening knows exactly what the hell's going on there. But I believe you've also been into the Middle East and, and covered that area too. So holy Holy crap, man. First of all, just as a person who's actually been there, unlike the millions and millions of us in the United States who talk all day online about this war that we're not even in, what do you think is going on there? Like, not politically, but like, what do you think is going on? Like, is this a war that Ukraine can win? What's it like? To, to say what, what will happen or, you know, what even what is happening beyond what I can directly, you know, what I have directly observed is definitely above my pay grade. There's a lot of, you know, you have an unending number of experts, 
pundits uh, weighing in on this and you know uh, predicting the future just in general is is a is a dangerous is <laughs> uh, a dangerous uh, endeavor, but uh, especially with something like this. Um, what I can tell you is two things uh, just off the bat. One is I think it's way worse than people um, people can understand um, from a distance. One of the things that's complicated as a photographer is showing what is happening, especially when it involves so much death uh, and doing it in a way that, you know, like if you, you know, when you're photographing, for example, uh, some of the atrocities, you know, you're talking about hundreds of bodies, you know, strewn out over, over a village, men, women, children. It is incredibly graphic. It is really a challenge to be able to make meaningful images from that that people can can see could the average person can see and absorb and gain some understanding from because if you just you know if i just and i've got plenty of these photos but uh you know of people you know who are missing limbs missing you know missing part of their skull you know they've been shot in the face they've they've been hit by an artillery shell they're completely mangled you can't just show people that very easily. At least most people can't. And you certainly can't do it in the kind of the mainstream um, kind of outlets, the media outlets, uh, because they just won't run it. So I think a lot of what we see is sanitized even when we, you know, when we recognize how brutal this war is because of, because of that. The second thing I would say is that I was blown away by the resilience and the uh, the kind of coming together of the Ukrainian people in this. I mean, here is a country in relative terms that is is not so large, and especially when we're talking about military might in comparison to Russia, which you know, most people would consider one of the most advanced militaries in the world, and certainly one of the most powerful. And for them to to not just slow them down, but actually you know, stop them and push them back is something really, really exceptional. And it's not simply about, you know, the arms that they had or Western arms that have been that have been shipped in. It has a lot to do with what what I saw while in Kiev, while in Lviv, while in Zaporizhia and, and other places. It's people coming together, you know, whether they're making tank obstacles, whether they're re, uh, retrofitting uh, civilian drones. Um, for reconnaissance or for or for um, uh, to include uh, the ability to drop explosives, whether it's you know auto mechanics uh, working on seized Russian military equipment and repurposing it for the Ukrainian military. I mean the list goes on and on. And we saw people you know who were who came out of the subways of Kiev and they said, look, you know I can sit down here and be safe maybe, but maybe still die, or I can get up you know and go out into the city and I can feed all of the, you know, all the elderly who, who can't leave. And, and it was just, it was powerful to see. That's, that's incredible. Um, amidst the many great points you just made, uh, I was curious because I've always had a strong feeling about this. We, uh, we tend not to show death in our media period, like end of story. And so like, you know, we won't show 
our own soldiers in wars we fight and stuff like that. Um, how do you stand as someone who has actually seen it in person and then also taken photographs of it? Do you think it would behoove the American public or any public to see death up close in its real form? You know, the short answer I believe is yes. I think that it is important that we see what war really is, you know, or what human suffering is, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be war. You know I mean? We're talking about, you know, we could be talking about famine. We could be talking about a lot of different things. But at least in the context of Ukraine, you know, we're talking about the violence of war uh, and, and, and the cost of that. And, and I think it is important. And, I, you know, for me, I think certainly one thing to see soldiers killed. And, you know, it's something that, you know, as a photographer going into a war zone, you, you mentally accept that that's going to happen. And certainly seeing civilian casualties, you expect that. But, but I think one thing that, that I think is that people should see, and they should probably see in all of its graphic nature, was the wholesale slaughter of civilians, men, women, and children, you know, in places like Bucha and Oakin. Wow. I uh, I can't even imagine. I've seen, uh, like I told you off air, um, I did a lot of hospice work, and uh, you know, I've, so I've seen that kind of death, and I've seen like the dying process of many, many, many times. But I have not seen like violence related. And then I have a friend who was already on the show who was a police officer, and he's told me some stories from his calls that like blow my mind. And I feel like these things don't define the person who sees them, but I do feel like all of you who see it have something in common, which is you you seem to be like calmer about it all in a in a way that's not spooky. It's just just more like interesting to me that your reality is quite different from the imagination of reality that I have and other people. We already talked about what you think would happen when you die and you have good faith and all that, but like how many times in your life, including Ukraine recently, have you been scared out of your mind that you were going to like die on one of these trips of yours? Yeah, good question. You know, it's weird. I'm not saying this to paint myself in a certain light, but I was not, you know, there are, there are so many photographers and obviously so many, um, you know, service members of the Ukrainian military and international volunteers, you know, who are in the thick of it. And, you know, I'm talking about like frontline kind of really, really brutal stuff. Um, I, I was not, you know, uh, in, in that situation. You know, I was in kind of artillery bombardments in Kyiv going, you know, we were the, me and, a, and about probably six others were the first ones into, into Bucha uh, after the, the Russians had been pushed out. But, but basically, for me, when when you know the artillery was coming down in in Kiev, for example, you know when you first get there, you think, okay, you know, like I'm going to sleep with my my boots on, so that you know if it gets if if it if we get hit, you know, at least you know I'm not going to be walking on shattered glass with bare feet. Um, you know, maybe I can get myself out. Maybe I can help get get our friends out. But you would be shocked how quickly so much of this, whether it's whether it's artillery or or even seeing you know the death uh, involved in war, you know, can become normalized to a degree. So you know, at first, you know, we're kind of like you know trying to figure out our you know emergency exit plans. What can we do? What are we near? And then you know, a week or two later, you know, you've got uh, artillery and missiles coming in and the building is shaking and car alarms are going on and you're drinking a cup of coffee and smoking a cigarette and just saying, well, that was close. And then, but, you know, I think that, you know, when it comes to the, to the death, you know, in terms of like seeing bodies, it's an interesting thing because when, you, you know, at least for me, I kept, I kept repeating to myself, 
it's only it's only it's only flesh it's only meat like these these aren't people anymore and and that may sound really cold and callous and it probably is but it was it was the way that at least for me to like to make sure that i could continue to do the work that i was there to do without getting caught up too much in the emotion of the situation which really came in later after i left and i had i had this really if i can expand on this a little bit more i had this really hard time you know like i think in trying to reconcile what i saw and i was trying to you know this one particular place in Bucha, i saw um, what appeared to be a man a woman and three children um, the corpses were set on fire. Um, they had some signs of torture. One individual, had, uh, a, a, um, a Ukrainian, had said, I, I, "You know, I'm, I'm not so expert to be able to make that determination." But you know, it really got to me because there were these kids, and I thought, and I kept thinking to myself, "What was the circumstance in which they, presumably the, the Russian military, had decided to?" kill what looked like an entire family you know did they do it all at once did they do it one by one were they trying to get information was the was the woman raped you know what was the and and i I kept going back and forth in my mind about what how this came to be and and i think what my mind was doing was trying to find some some sort of even just barely rational you know some some sort of rationale, even even if it was totally irrational and totally you know and, and, and absolutely a war crime, I was just trying to trying to understand how that could happen. And what I finally realized was that that was a kind of an exercise in futility, and that you know you can't always you know find the rational in you know kind of irrationality and. You know, um, and so I, you know, had to kind of let it go, and that was the best thing for for my mental health. Yeah, wow. We have covered a lot of bases on this podcast. I'm kind of shocked, actually, that we covered as much as we did. I'm just, I have to do a lot of thinking. There's so much thinking to do about words you've said that have painted pictures and ideas for me. But I do want to thank you for all that. And uh, before I let you go, um, I always give my guests an opportunity to just kind of like give their message to the world so like you know what do you what do you feel like telling people and it doesn't have to be related to anything we talked about just whatever you want yeah it's a, it's a great question maybe if you let me i'll, I'll just I'll, I'll repeat one thing that i said earlier that i think is important and i'll say i'll say one other so i'll start with the latter so my father um you know was fond of saying if your life's a book make it worth reading and that's something that's really stuck with me. You know, you get this one life and he's like, please, you know, make it a page turner. Don't make it, don't make it, you know, don't make it the, the book that you want to, you want, you, you open it up and you read a couple pages and you're like, you just set it down. And then the last thing, which I said earlier is be far more afraid of not living than you are of dying. Mm-hmm.
that's just so cool and it's it's funny because i know where it takes me which is my own life drama and things that have happened in my life and like the closest i ever came to quitting was doing that exactly which is just making my life so damn safe from a psychological perspective that no one and nothing could ever hurt me again and it's like crazy that like i knew even then at the pit of my despair that that was the worst decision one could ever make and that life is not worth living if you're not living and it's why i'm still very active when like it comes to you know pursuing people's right to free speech and freedom of expression which goes back to photography that we talked about like i do believe that like it would be better for the american public to hear things that are unpleasant and to hear things that aren't true or false but are just out there than to like not let people give their impressions and so you've, you've helped me with so much of that stuff thank you for doing everything you do because i wanted to ask you to come on the show way before you went to ukraine actually and like i just it's weird to be like friends with someone and then to like not ever talk to them for like 20 something years because you know it's just how life goes but to like root for you from afar and like to see your trip with your brother and it sounds to me like you're doing the best damn job ever with all that so thank you again for coming on the show once again the best way to support the podcast is just simply to subscribe maybe share it with a friend and then please head over to mikeyop.com m-i-k-e-y-o-p-p and sign up for free to the uh, newsletter that comes out once a week um, and help support us and again thank you Mike and and uh, to all of the audience listening, thank you so much. We wouldn't be here without you. Once again, this has been an episode of Coffin Talk. My name is Mike Oppenheim, and we will see you soon.